Good morning. Let's stand as we worship God this morning. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God, sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hands. Beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The Godhead three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. No, see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. No, see how great. How great is our God. Amen. You can be seated. You're tall. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to the um, house of the Lord today. And again, for those online, we did thank you for joining with us. And at this time, let's have a word of prayer before we begin our, our message. Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, for today, for this opportunity, for the new week that we've been given this time, Lord, to share together in this way and to help those around us in this time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry 
Everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. At this time, our kids, ages two through fourth grade, are dismissed for children's worship. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name And keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace For I am yours And you are mine, Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. So I will call upon your name And keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace For I am yours And you are mine, oh 
Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. I am yours, and you are mine. Good morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 44, that will be our scripture reading this morning. Matthew 5, 38 through 44. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Thank you for that, Greg. This morning... We are continuing our lessons on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are, uh, we're coming to the end of Matthew chapter 5. And so I'm, I'm particularly excited about this because I feel like Jesus ties together a bunch of loose ends here at the end of chapter 5. Um, I've titled this particular sermon, Conflicted About Conflict, but I hope that we come to the end of this sermon and don't feel particularly conflicted about how we respond to Jesus' call here. Jesus begins, as Greg read, by saying, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn also to him the other, or to him the other also. What I find interesting about this is there are so many different interpretations of what Jesus could mean here. Uh, If you go and you read a a series of commentaries, you're going to find that every single commentary wants to put a different spin on it. And my problem with that is I I think that it's kind of like trying to uh, take something that's very clear-cut and 
outlined in such a way that we shouldn't really be able to quabble about it or have quarrel about the meaning, and uh, turning it into a much more difficult thing than it needs to be. See, I've gone back and I've read the uh, references that Jesus is making here. I've gone back and I've looked at the passages that Jesus talks about, and I want us to do the same this morning. I'm hopeful that uh, in doing so, what we'll come to see is that this is not a difficult passage to understand. In fact, it, it should be one of the most easy teachings Jesus gives us from the standpoint of clarity. Here's what I'm looking at this morning. If you, if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Leviticus chapter 24, verse four, uh, 19 through 20, rather. And I'm going to read it off of the screen here. You can, you can read it from the screen up there, but if you want to turn in your Bibles and see the, the context, this is the place you're going to go. Leviticus 24, 19 through 20. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done it, shall, uh, as he has done it, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. This is Leviticus. This is the Mosaic law. This is uh, a law that the Israelite people had lived by, they had abided by, they had chosen uh, to, to continue to share with their children. Um, when, when we read in Scripture that they would teach it to their children, that they would post it on the doorposts of their house, these are the sorts of laws that the Israelite people had and things that they focused on and, and ways in which they understood God's desire for their personal interactions with one another and with the world around them. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And so here at the beginning, it talks about this intent. Uh, if, if someone comes to you, they, they put an accusation against you, and what they're trying to achieve is some evil, then the evil that they falsely accused you of, they're going to be guilty of themselves. There's this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If they were trying to get you hurt in some way in their false testimony about you, this is the turn they'll receive the punishment that they were trying to exact on you. Exodus chapter 21, verse 23 through 24. When men strive together, so like wrestle, fight, uh, find themselves in conflict with one another. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined. So there's monetary compensation as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. These are, these are some pretty aggressive <laughs> passages on the kind of toll that might be exacted on an individual. And if you look here, uh, the thing that I notice about these passages is that almost all of them have to do with a person receiving just punishment for someone who has been injured in such a way that they were, they were an innocent bystander. 
The, the injury that they receive is not because they uh, decided that they were going to have a fight, and in the middle of that fight, the person gets punched in the face, and now they say, okay, all right, let's stop. It's one punch. That means I get to punch you once in the face. This is not how it worked out. Instead, it's, you know, the men are going to strive. They're going to toil with one another. They're going to fight with one another. No one who is innocent in this, no bystander should be, be harmed in their act of indiscretion. Now, obviously, there are other passages about the ways in which those men are supposed to interact with one another, that they should settle conflict with one another. In fact, Jesus already addressed all of that, that we're not even supposed to reach the point where we have fights with one another because we're supposed to deal with our anger before it rises to that level. But in the Mosaic Law, these eye-for-an-eye and tooth-for-a-tooth passages are oftentimes to protect the innocent, to protect people who are maybe being falsely accused or people who are bystanders in a conflict that they haven't chosen for themselves. They're protective laws. They're intended for the protection of people who maybe can't protect themselves. And as I read these passages in the Old Testament, the thing that I noticed again was Jesus' words to the, the on-looking audience, the people who are speaking to him. He says, you have heard that it was said. And then he quotes a very small part of these passages. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you, on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And he takes this one small passage, this little piece out of the bigger puzzle. And if you remember last week, we did, this with, uh, we did this with divorce and we did this with oaths and we showed how they had managed to take a small piece of an overall law and turn that piece of the law into the law itself. They had ignored the context around it. They had decided that a little bit of the law was enough. It was sufficient I don't need the the context. What I need is just this piece. Moses allows me to divorce my wife if I give her a certificate of divorce, and that's sufficient. I don't need to know the context around it. In the same way, people were abusing this passage. Now, here's the deal. Eye for an eye is not unique to the Bible. In fact, it's believed to be one of the oldest moral laws in the world, that, uh, that the Code of Hammurabi in fact, included this idea, literal word for word, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And this was before the book of Leviticus was written. But here's the deal. People got so fixated on eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth because in our world, the idea of retribution is pretty appealing. In a world where people are constantly at conflict with one another, we're looking for a way in which to gain more opportunity to harm the person that we're in conflict with. We're looking for an opportunity to to not necessarily one-up, although if we can get a one-up on them, that's going to be fantastic, but at least to even the scales in some way. I want to hurt you as badly as you hurt me. That's the mentality of eye for an eye. And the beautiful thing about the Levitical law, the beautiful thing about the law of Moses, is that it takes a common concept, like eye for an eye, and it turns it on its head and it says, but this isn't for your own good. This isn't for you to protect 
yourself. It's for you to protect the people around you. If a, if a child is harmed in the course of men fighting, because our world is filled with conflict, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If someone levels a false accusation against you, trying to get you hurt in some way, trying to, to have your life taken from you or have your hand cut off because you're a thief or whatever it happens to be, and they've falsely leveled accusations against you, and it turns out that the witness was unreliable. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. For the protection of the innocent. Jesus moves on from there. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I want you to listen to those words for just a moment here. What does God do? How is it that God approaches humanity? Is God looking for opportunities to exact revenge on us in this world? Is he looking for opportunities to say, well, you know, John likes the beavers, and uh, uh, John's, John's had a couple of issues in his life lately. He's been lying about how much he's been spending on tools on Craigslist, and so the beavers are going to lose from here on out. That's the way it's going to be. I see John is... That's not how God works. That isn't how God works. You know, uh, we have an entire book in the Bible called the book of Job that addresses this idea that all suffering in the world comes as a result of the sin of a man. That if Job is really righteous, he's not going to suffer. And the book of Job says very clearly, look, you can be as righteous as you want to be. This world is broken. There's going to be suffering here for you. You can be as unrighteous as you want to be, and you may happen to stumble on some really good fortune in your life. That's not a sign that God is endorsing your behavior. We look at our enemies and we think, man, they're such horrible, awful, despicable people. Surely God is going to punish them in tremendous ways how wicked they are. Jesus says, God makes the sun shine on them too. He makes sure that their crops get watered just as well. We don't necessarily like God's justice. I struggle with it myself because, uh, you know, I, I want to say that I like the justice of God. But if I'm completely honest with myself, and if I'm completely honest with you, there are times I wish that God's justice reflected my own justice. I wish that God's punishment of humanity happened in the way that I want it to happen. Of course, I don't necessarily want it to happen to me that way, but I definitely want it to happen to the people that, that make me angry, the people that I find you know, really infuriating and frustrating. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God dealt with them the way that I deserve to be dealt with. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look, the people that are close to me, yeah, obviously I want them to succeed. I want them to have a great life. And you know, if, the, if God's going to send rain on their fields, that's wonderful because my fields are right next to theirs. Yeah, you know, I, I really want my brother to succeed in life because, you know, my brother, his success is a little bit my success as well. If my family does well, I do well. But 
wouldn't it be wonderful if God would just keep my enemy from succeeding in any way, shape, or form? And then in their hurt and their suffering, I might be edified. Jesus says, this is the teaching you've heard, but that's not what the law says. Your Father in heaven, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. These are words that Jesus has used in Matthew chapter 5 up to this point. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father. See, we, we learn from the people who raise us. We take on their mannerisms, their characteristics. There's some kind of family resemblance that happens there. There are things that I never intended to do in the way that my father does, ways in which I behave and act that I never intended to do because my father did them. And I thought, oh, no, he embarrassed me so much with that joke that he just told. Good grief, I wish he didn't laugh so loud when we'd go to a movie he'd already seen because he's spoiling it for the whole audience. My dad was that kind of guy. So my dad, uh, he'd go see a movie, and then we'd all go see the movie with him afterward. He'd kind of do like the parental screening sort of thing to make sure that it was okay for us to see a movie. And we'd get there, and having known all the jokes already, he'd be sitting there in the audience, and before a joke would even hit, he'd remember the joke, and he'd just start laughing. <laughs> my dad had this really boisterous, goofy laugh. You can ask my mom, and she'll tell you this is all factual information, Okay. He would laugh. He'd preempt the joke with the laugh. And people would laugh, but they weren't laughing at the joke. They were laughing at my dad laughing because his, his laughter was so loud. And I remember as a kid, I'd like, oh, my goodness, Dad, you're so embarrassing. I do the same thing. If I've seen a movie before my kids have seen it, I'm so excited about the joke that they're about to hear that I can't help but laugh about it. And if you've ever sat anywhere where I'm genuinely really laughing, it's obnoxious. <laughs> I had, a, I had a director friend uh, who, you know, she directed theater, and she'd say, could you come to the first night of our show so that when you laugh, the rest of the audience will laugh? And that was sort of, you know, my role. Uh, Kristen Caldwell, she'd invite me into the audience, and I'd, I can't help it. If I find something funny, it's a guttural, boisterous laugh. That embarrasses me sometimes. It embarrasses me less now than it did when my dad would do it. And I'm starting to realize it was just a part of who he was, and I'm like my father. I spent so much time with him that there, were, there was no hope for me. I was going to be like him in some way, shape, or form. And Jesus here has told us, essentially, look, you need a new dad. You need a new father because all these teachings that I've taught you about, all these things that you've heard it said, You learn those from your fathers. But your father in heaven wants you to learn something different. He wants you to adopt a new way of thinking, of being. He wants you to laugh in the way he laughs. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I want eye for an eye. I really want to be all right with my neighbors, and I really want to be angry with my enemies. I'd love to pray for God to persecute uh, the people who have persecuted me. And that's a problem with my parentage. 
not my, my mom and dad alone. Uh, they're good people, and I think that they're probably better than me in some of these regards. But of human parentage, the history that we all de- derive from, the world that we're a part of, we've inherited a very vengeful and cruel view of the world. We have to ask ourselves, do we want to be like our Father who's in heaven? Or do we want to be like all the fathers that came before us who provided no hope, who provided no peace? Because we get to choose who our Father will be. And so we find ourselves with conflicting values. Uh, You see, when Jesus talks about the suit that's brought against you, right? Uh, if, uh, if they sue you for your cloak, or your tunic, rather, give them your cloak as well. This is something that Jesus quotes here. Uh, he says, essentially, there is a legal remedy for a person to extract a garment from you, your tunic. This was actually allowed for in the Levitical law. And so someone could sue you, they could take your cloak, or your tunic rather, but they had to give you your cloak, cloak back by nightfall, because it was also your blanket. It was the thing that you kind of sheltered yourself from the cold in. You literally could not keep a man's cloak from him at night under the Mosaic law. It wasn't allowed. And yet Jesus here says, look, if they sue you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. If they strike you on one cheek, turn also to them the the other cheek. And so what I find here is this this sense of, of... Jesus telling me, value something more than your rights or your dignity. See, he he kind of addresses the first part with this idea of suffering wrong. Someone's going to strike you on the cheek? Go ahead. Turn to them the other also. And people will talk about, like, well, if they're going to backhand you one way, and then they're going to hit you the other way. And I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's literally saying, like, if someone extracts violence on you, instead of extracting violence right back, seek the peace. If suffering the wrong will find peace, suffer the wrong. Don't look for an opportunity to feed the violent pattern. Don't exact your revenge for the sake of being like your Father who is in heaven. That's really difficult teaching for me to to accept. But I think a plain reading of what Jesus is saying is exactly that. That doesn't negate the things that are said in the old law about, hey, if, if an innocent bystander is wounded, if a a mother who's bearing a child and that child is wounded in the result of a fight, there's got to be consequences for it. But this is about me personally. Do I want justice for myself so badly that I'm willing to perpetuate violent patterns? Jesus tells me, that's not my kingdom. There's this other idea of of loving personal dignity, this cloak and tunic issue. Look, you know, if I give the man my tunic, which is the inner covering, I still have my cloak and my nakedness is not exposed and I maintain my dignity and things are well. But the truth is, a Jewish man of the first century only had two garments that he wore on a daily basis. It was his cloak and his tunic. The tunic was the undergarment, okay? The cloak was the outer garment. And Jesus is saying, look, 
If he sues you for one, give him the other also, which is maybe a strange way to go about, you know, really embarrassing the person who sued you. But more importantly, this is an issue of dignity. Do I desire my personal dignity more than I desire the love of my neighbor? Is my dignity more important than my love for my neighbor? Am I willing to humble myself, to put myself in a position of embarrassment so that I might make peace with my neighbor? So that I can maintain good relationship? And now we come back to this idea, do I love God's mercy and justice? See, I I might love God's justice and hate his mercy. I might constantly be looking for the opportunity to exact justice because my image of God is only just and never merciful, except as it regards me, or as it regards my brother whom I love. Or are we loving our distorted understanding of justice? These are questions I think we need to ask ourselves. Are we, are we people who want to be like our Father in heaven, or are we people who want to continue to live in a way that's been perpetuated by our world? It's a question of who our real Father is. And then Jesus closes out the chapter, and this is where I think he really drives things home, where he nails down the point that he wants us to get. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, uh, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? This doesn't make you extraordinary. It doesn't make you wonderful. You're nothing special if you do those things. Those are just the things of the world. They're common courtesies. They're an eye for an eye or a tooth for tooth pulled right out of Hammurabi's law. Great. You can be halfway decent to the people you like. But what about the people you don't like? What about the people you struggle just to get along with? And this, this is where Jesus pins us down and says, Who's your father? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And if you arrive at that point and you go back through Matthew chapter 5, the thing that you're going to find is it is really, really, really difficult to be perfect because we have been taught so well how to be just good enough. Just good enough to get by in a world that is severely broken, which isn't particularly good, right? Jesus says, if, if that's all you want, then you'll continue to live in a very broken world. But if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, you have to have a father who lives in heaven. A father who rules a kingdom that is unlike the kingdoms of this world. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. This morning, I want to challenge you to go back and read through Matthew chapter 5. We're moving on to chapter 6 next week. But I want, to, I want to encourage you, spend some time this week in Matthew chapter 5, read through it, and ask yourself, 
do I want to be perfect like this? Do I want to adopt the image of my Father in heaven, or do I want to continue to perpetuate the ways of this world? And I hope that your answer is, I want to be like my Father in heaven. And Jesus has told us what that looks like. He's given us a very clear image, both in the words he speaks here and in the ones that we see in his actions. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want so desperately to be like you, except when we don't. And that is a shortcoming of us. That is, that is a flaw in who we are. It is a, a fly in the ointment, Father. We pray that you would help us to eliminate the ways in which we adopt the characteristics of this world, in which we think that our personal dignity is more important than peace, in which we think that our, our self-righteous attitude should allow judgment on the people around us in such a way that we break relationship and undervalue human beings over our pride. Help us to be like you. Help us to love more than just our brothers. Help us to greet more than just the people that we care about. Help us to set aside our anger. Help us to set aside our lust. Help us to keep our promises. Help us to keep our marriages. Help us to value the things you value and cast aside the things that the world values. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need of the church this morning, if there are ways in which we can pray for you, if you would like to be baptized, if you are interested in having a Bible study or just having someone walk alongside you, I'm going to be at the back of the auditorium this morning. Our elders are also here, and they'd be happy to visit with you. We have some ladies here who would be happy to visit with you if that would be more comfortable for you. Whatever your need is this morning, we want to be able to help you meet that need. We want to love you well. And so we invite you as we stand and sing to respond if you need to respond. Let's worship. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. You're, I have a living hope. I have a future. God has a plan for me. Of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I know I can stand secure, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word, I put my hope in your holy word. Your word is faithful, mighty in power. God will deliver me, of this I'm sure, of this I'm sure. Jesus, you're my firm foundation, I know I can stand secure. 
Jesus, you're my firm foundation. I put my hope in your holy word. I put my hope in your holy word. Maybe seated. Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. You are holy, holy. Are you, Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. You are holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. Amen. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, 
and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingle down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine? That present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my As we continue our worship and continue to focus our thoughts on Jesus, I want us to remember that this is a time that we specifically set aside to think about his death, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. We believe that Jesus was both human and divine, that even though hard to comprehend, he was both a man and the Son of God. That's so important to us. As a man, he was tempted. As a man, he died. As our Lord, he has the power over death and the authority to forgive. I want to read a passage from 1 Colossians. You can just listen if you'd like. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Let's think about those things as we partake of the bread this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your son. We're thankful that he is supreme, Father. We're thankful that he does reconcile us to you. Father, help us as we think about those things. Help us to examine ourselves, Father, as we think about ourselves and our relationship to him. Father, we're thankful that he came and that he died and that he made this sacrifice. Help us to remember his body as we partake. We pray through Jesus. Amen. There's more in this passage I'd like to continue to read. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. It's a gospel that we share. It's a gospel that we think about this morning. He died and he was resurrected. And we have that same hope because of what he's done. Would you bow with me as we partake of the cup? Father, we're thankful that your son came. Father, we don't fully understand why his blood was needed, but Father, we're thankful that the sacrifice was given in order that we might be reconciled to you. Be with us as we partake this morning, Father, we pray through your son. Amen. As a reminder, we have an opportunity to give, an opportunity to partake in the work of this church and, of course, his work, and I want to encourage you in that. Uh, There are various ways in which you can uh, make your contribution. Those are up on the screen.
Let's stand as we sing our last song. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. I know I shall see in his beauty the King in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Men, you can be seated. The two closing announcements I have to mention is next week, the College and Young Adults Lunch at the Dunnings on October the 3rd, and immediately after this service closes today, we are having our Friendship 20 back in the foyer. So at that point, if you could come and join together with us and uh, have some coffee, some refreshments, and get a chance to meet some of us, and, uh, and again this time, so we pray. Our my Father, we're thankful, Lord, for today, for this opportunity, and for this chance this week, Lord, to share together and to share the love and concern among the brethren this day. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen.